morning again. It's not in May. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad y'all are here this morning. Uh, if you happen to be a guest, I want to extend a particularly warm welcome to you. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Uh, if you did not receive one of our welcome bags on the way in, make sure uh, you grab one on the way out. It's a way for you to hear a little bit more about our church, know what we're about in the community. And also you get to bless some local businesses because in those bags we have uh, gifts that we purchase from local merchants and you take the gifts and we get to buy more and bless them. So uh, and you get to enjoy some good stuff that's being produced in East Adams County. So make sure you grab one of those on the way out. Uh, mentioned that this is the first Sunday we have two services since, uh, since the pandemic started. Uh, that was a little over four years ago, uh, if you can imagine that. It was a little over four years ago, or just about four years ago, that we stopped meeting in person, indoors, on Sunday mornings for a season as sort of we had grown accustomed to. In the first few months of the COVID-19 crisis, uh, our team here at Chatham Community Church used the word so many times that I have uh, jokingly banned it from all conversation. And whenever anyone says that word, we cry out, swear jar. That word was the word pivot. And we pivoted so much in those first few months. Uh, it felt like every week we were using that word to change something that we were doing. Uh, we, we did so much because as the crisis was unfolding and reality was setting in, we kept becoming aware of things that our community needed. And we needed to find ways to meet those in ways that sort of aligned with the local guidelines and also with the recommendations from health officials. So we pivoted. We pivoted over and over again to continue to provide opportunities for folks to connect with God. That's how our, um, our live stream got started. That's how we started some Zoom calls for prayer in the middle of the day. For those of you who remember, Alex and I, Alex is our lead pastor, would get on Facebook Live once in a while just to talk and share reflections. We pivoted so that folks could maintain community and relationships. Our small group leaders, God bless them, uh, jumped into leading groups and discussions and prayer and community over Zoom. It was the most fun to help 70-plus-year-old folks dive into that. And they did so with gusto and with energy and with enthusiasm. They pivoted. When it became clear that people needed physical connection, we found ways. We pivoted to create spaces outdoors where people could see each other, where people could talk to each other, where people could connect with each other. We pivoted to bring about good in Chatham County and beyond because it's in our DNA to engage our world for good, God's world for good. We pivoted so that we could deliver food to first responders because one of the needs that emerged quickly was that they were so overworked that no one had time to buy snacks for the break room. Something we never would have thought of before the COVID-19 crisis. We all jumped in to make sure that first responders had the sus not only the sustenance they need, but the snacks that made them feel appreciated as loved in a time when they were overworked, stressed, afraid. We pivoted so that we could increase our support to food programs uh, that would feed kids over the summer as we found more and more kids had a sense of food insecurity as the school year ended and just they lost access to school-provided meals. 
Now, we stopped doing lots of things during the pandemic. There were lots of things that had seemed important before the pandemic started that just weren't that important anymore. But there were others that we couldn't even fathom giving up. We may have changed how we did them, but we had to do them. They emerged as essential. Crisis does that. Crisis, crises tend to shed light on what we perceive deep down as essential, what we need the most. When push comes to shove, there are things that we are unwilling to give up, needs that, they are, that we are unwilling to leave unmet. Colleen read Psalm 63 for us a little while ago. It is a psalm written in crisis. Or it's a psalm written from the perspective of a crisis situation. The one speaking in the psalm is believed to be King David. And at the time he's sort of setting himself in this psalm, he's had to flee into the wilderness. And I don't want you to think of wilderness as we would think here in Chatham County. I want you to think desert wilderness, barren wilderness. He's had to flee because his son, not a neighboring kingdom, not an enemy, his son, Absalom, has rebelled against him, has usurped the throne, has declared himself king, and has garnered support from the people that David had committed to follow and had pledged allegiance to him. David has lost the throne, he's lost the palace, he's lost the nation, and he's in the desert. He's in crisis. And in crisis, he reveals what he needs the most. Here's what he says. He says, I thirst for you. Speaking about God. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Notice that he seems aware, very much aware that he's in the desert. That he's in a setting where water is hard to come by. And you know, and I know, water is not a non-negotiable. Water is an essential. We die without water. It is critical for survival. But note that he doesn't talk about needing water. He doesn't talk about needing water. He doesn't ask for water. The thing he, he does, first and foremost, is he talks about needing God. He talks about needing God first and foremost. He longs in the midst of his crisis first for God. He thirsts in the midst of his crisis first for God. He hungers in the midst of his crisis first for God. It's not that he doesn't have other needs. It's not that he's not aware that he has other needs. He knows he needs water to survive. Otherwise, he wouldn't pay attention to the fact that he's in a setting where there is no water. He knows that he needs water to survive. He knows that he needs protection from his enemies. He knows that he needs justice to be done. He knows that he needs to be reinstated to the throne so that he can continue to fulfill the purpose for which he was called, for which God anointed him as king. But what he knows above all those things is that when we hunger for God first, it's not that other needs are forgotten. It's not that all other needs cease to be that all other needs are met in their proper time and through the right measure. When we hunger for God, first and foremost, all other needs are met in their proper time and in their proper measure. In Psalm 63, in this particular psalm, uh, there are things that the speaker says he is going to do, and there are things that he declares are going to happen. And when you read through the psalm, by and large, the things that he is going to do 
and there are plenty of them, are all connected to hungering for God. By and large, they're connected to pursuing God. He says things like, earnestly, I seek you. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you. In your name, I will lift up my hands. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you in the watches of the night. I cling to you. This is what the psalmist says in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the desert. None of us would have batted an eye if the psalm contained a line along the lines of, uh, I will retake the throne you gave me. No one would have batted an eye if that were there. No one would have batted an eye if he said something, I will drive out my enemies in your strength. In fact, there are other psalms that have that kind of language. No one would have batted an eye if he said, I will find the streams that you are providing for me and will satisfy my thirst. But they're not there. The psalm alludes to those kinds of things, but not as something David is going to do. In referring to these things, it's not even something that he asks for. When David talks about these things in the Psalms, he talks about them as if they are going to happen, period. He knows it's going to happen. He says things like, I will be satisfied. Doesn't tell us how, doesn't tell us when. Doesn't ask for it, he just knows. He knows that it will happen. He says things like, the mouths of liars will be silent. He doesn't know how it's going to happen. He doesn't know when it's going to happen. He doesn't ask for it to happen. But he seems to know that if he hungers for God first and foremost, every other need that he has will be filled. Every other desire, every other possibility, every other thing that has to happen will happen at the right time and in the right measure. You and I have needs. Have needs. We need relationship. We need to have a sense of value. We need to have a sense of meaning. We need to have a sense of purpose. We need peace at times, provision. We find ourselves needing relief and rest, strength, comfort, so much more. So much more. The invitation is not to deny those needs. The invitation is not to pretend those needs don't exist. The the invitation is not to simply act as if those things don't matter. The invitation invitation is to have them satisfied upon a foundation at which our deepest need is met. The deepest longing of our soul is satisfied. Our deepest need is for connection to the one who made us and loves us. At the core of every created person, of every person here, every person around the world, every person throughout history is a longing for connection to God is a need to be connected to the source of life, to the one who made us, the one who knows us, the one who loves us. The history of humanity is one in which over and over again we choose to sever that connection. We we choose to go at life independently. We choose to pursue satisfying all those other needs in whatever way we know how or can figure out how to go around the room, if we poll people through history, if we bear ourselves honestly, what we will find is that no matter how good we are at those pursuits, no matter how long we pursue them, no matter how much we get from those pursuits, we can't quite get the full and complete satisfaction 
cosas bajitas, sube su nivel. Baja su nivel. You hear it long enough, eventually you'll hear stories about how life is just wonderful. When I was a freshman in college, they opened up a new chemistry building. It looked really nice. Like, it was a beautiful building. It stood out on the campus. But soon after, word started getting around the student population that they'd made a mistake when they were building this building, that they hadn't accounted for the added weight of all the lab equipment and what, what it would weigh like when all the students were in there with all their backpacks and books. They hadn't accounted for that when they were assessing the land and figuring out whether this was good land to build and what kind of foundation they needed to lay. So they started to say, the rumor was, that as soon as the building opened and people ran, went in, the building started to sink. And the rumor was that eventually the chemistry building was going to look something like this. Now it's been, I'm not going to tell you how long, since that building opened. And I'm pretty sure this was a rumor started by engineering students. Uh, because we were at an engineering college and there hadn't been a new engineering department building built in who knows how long. So I think there was just some uh, friendly animosity at play here. But it tapped into something very real. It doesn't matter how fancy or expensive the building is, how beautiful it looks, or how nice the equipment is, or how much money we spent, they spent on it, or how many students you could claim to fit into how many classrooms so you could open how many sections of Chem 1, Chem 2, or Orgo. But the foundation couldn't sustain it. All of us want to live satisfied lives. No one would say, you know what? What I would want more than anything else? An unsatisfied life. That's my dream. No one wants that. We want our deepest, uh, we want our deep needs met. We want our deepest needs met. We want our longings fulfilled. That's why we go after the things that meet them. It's normal. We have agency. We want to go after them. But we will never quite make it there. The enduring reliable satisfaction if we don't invest deeply. If we don't build on strong foundations. If we don't address the needs that we can see from God. God is the only one who can satisfy the deepest hunger of our souls. God is the only one who can satisfy the deepest hunger of our souls. You may think my deepest hunger is for relationships. Behind that is a deeper hunger. You may say, my deepest hunger is to feel like I've, 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 I've arrived in life. You will not feel like you've arrived in life until you have, you have a sense that your value is secure in Jesus. You could, you, could, you could phrase that in any number of ways. Now hear me. As anyone who's walked with Jesus for any amount of time will tell you, it's not that there aren't moments. It's not that there aren't seasons where we don't feel where we feel where we don't feel needs. We feel needs. We have needs. We feel other needs. The psalm shows us that they're there. David longs for God above all else and that he clearly needs some water. And he clearly needs protection from his enemies. It's that in those moments we get to trust that God is working to satisfy those needs. That God will satisfy why David doesn't have to ask. That's why David doesn't have to worry. Because he knows. 
he knows that God will satisfy. How can we know that to be true? How do we know that that's not just Here's what the psalm says. From David's perspective, he says, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. David has got a history with God. And when he's in the desert, he looks to his history. When he's finding himself in need, he looks to the stories of how God has satisfied him before. He's seen God meet every other need time and time again. This isn't the first time David's running from people trying to get after him people trying to kill him. And the last time it happened, he ended up on the throne. He ended up exactly where God wanted him. Some of us may be familiar with the story of David and Goliath. David needed God to deliver him from the hand of the giant. He trusted God and God did. There have been times when he's been hungry and thirsty and God has always provided. He's always found his way back to his rightful times of crisis and need, friends, remember how God has satisfied If you have history with God, go back to that history. Go back to how God has delivered. Many of us have a catalog of experiences with God. These are the moments to pull that catalog out. These are the moments to rehearse those stories. Rehearse those I've seen you moments. I've seen your power. I've seen your glory. I've seen your answer to prayer. Rehearse those stories. What about those of us who are wondering here today whether we could start trusting in God? What about those of us who are just starting in our walk of trust with God? Maybe we haven't built a big catalog yet of experiences with God. What do we do? What do we do? Well, there are two things. One, Scripture invites us to borrow its stories. Scripture invites us to trust that the God who we see delivering for all sorts of people who hunger after him will also meet us. Borrow those stories. Say things like, just as you met David, I believe that you can meet me. Just as you met Moses, just as you met Sarah, just as you met any number of people in Scripture, I believe you're going to meet me. Scripture invites us to borrow its stories. That's part of why they're there. And the second is borrow the stories. There are people around you who have a catalog. They've been walking a little bit longer, but they started where you were. They started where you are. They can tell you. They can tell you how God met you. They can loan you their stories. We don't lack stories in this community, in Scripture, of how God has satisfied those who hunger for him. Remember those stories for sure. Read them if you need to access those in Scripture. Ask for them if you don't know where to find them or you need to hear the stories from people around us, and then own them. Own them. If they're yours, own that God will do it again. And if they're not yours, own that God loves you just as much as he loved the person next to you. He'll deliver you as well. Trust that what he's done in the past, he will do again. Trust as what he's done for others, he will do for you in the way that you most need it. Because God is deeply invested. I want to briefly highlight three phrases from the psalm, the psalm before I transition to how we're going to respond. First is this phrase. David says, because your love is better than life. 
promise God made to David at this moment when he writes these words looks like it's been taken from him. God promised him the kingdom. He's going to have the kingdom. David never asked to be king. Let's be very clear. He was a shepherd out in the fields, the youngest brother, low expectation. This has been more trouble than the kingdom he had before. He may think he's better off if he stayed the shepherd, shepherd, but that's not where he's at in the crisis. What is front and center to him in this crisis is that God is committed and is ready. That word, love there, the Hebrew that we translate into love there is an active, committed love. It's an engaged love. The love that remains true. God is committed and is ready. It's not just that God loves us. It's that God is committed in his love to us. He acts in light of his love for us. God's committed love to us was true when he made us. God's committed love towards us was demonstrated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God's committed love for us is demonstrated now. God's committed love for us is demonstrated in the final thing to come. All is made right. The fact that God's love is active, committed, is one of the reasons we can hunger. We can trust that hungering for him is worth it. Whether in the day-to-day crisis or in the day-to-day life, crisis, we may be tempted to pick up the crisis and find it better. This is a better way. This is a better way. It's not that you take your eyes off the crisis and ignore it. It's that you fix your eyes on the one who made it. Next phrase, but the king will rejoice in God. David remembers in the desert who God called him to be. And he knows that he can be secure that God's plans are not thwarted. The path back to the throne is not clear. But David knows the path. David knows he can rest. David knows that God's plans are not thwarted. God will finish what he started out to do. God will fulfill his purpose in us. He will fulfill the purpose he has for us. We can rejoice in us. There is nothing that thwarts God's plans. God is not surprised or taken aback when things go awry or crises come. God is Lord over all those things. And it's the reason why even in the midst of crisis, we can be free and say we will rejoice on the Lord. Filled to hunger for him and chase after him with everything that he's got. And that's the invitation for us today, simply as believers. To commit to hungering for him as only you can. Don't look behind that lid. Be earnest in how you seek him. There's a way. There are ways for you to do it as authentically you can. Now, learn from how others do it. Watch how people worship. Ask them how they pray. Ask them what it looks like when they connect to God. But know that it doesn't have to look exactly that way for you. In fact, it won't. It may resemble it, but there were ways that will be unique and different because God made you unique. 
The invitation isn't to imitate other people and how they do it. It's to emulate their pursuit of God the way only you can, to do it honestly and wholeheartedly. Here's how we're going to start to do that in the next little bit. We're going to respond in musical worship. The worship team is going to sing a song. I want to invite you to respond. Now, note I don't say sing because that might not be how you need to respond. Maybe you need to kneel. Maybe you need to raise your hand. Maybe you need to sit in silence and pray the words of the song back to God. Maybe you need to sit and let the song, as they say sometimes, wash over you. Maybe you need to go get prayer so that people would come before you and with you and invite God to make his story true in your life. Finally, I'm going to invite us all to respond. If you are on the way with Jesus, to come to the table Jesus set for us. Jesus is the one who made a way for us to connect with God. He is the embodiment of God's love for us. He lived a life fully locked into God. Fully locked into trusting God. Fully locked into seeking God. Fully locked into living in step with his will. His was a life that was fully satisfied. I want you to imagine what Jesus' life was like. It wasn't always easy, but it was always fully satisfied. It was always in step with God. And Jesus invites us to step into that by inviting us. He invites us to trust that God satisfies by setting food before us, setting tables before us. We're going to do that in a particular way today. The worship team is going to sing the song, a song focused on communion. At any point in that song, I want you to come up and grab one of the gluten-free crackers and grab one of the cups of grape juice and go back to your seat. And at whatever moment you feel ready to eat that cracker, Drink that juice as a way of saying, God, I am stepping in to the story where you satisfy. I am trusting that you are satisfied. I am hungering for you, and I want you to meet that deep hunger. You take those elements. We're not going to stop in the song. We're not going to take them all together. That's how I'm going to invite you to respond. I'm going to give us the words of institution of the, of the supper. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to release you to respond how you need to today. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took ordinary things as he was gathered for a meal with his disciples, his close friends. He took bread. He broke it. He gave thanks. He distributed it among them. And he said to them, take and eat. This is my body that is broken for you. God's committed love puts his own self on the line so that you and I could have our deepest need, our need for connection with God when you take and eat, remember that your deepest need is satisfied in Jesus. In the same way Jesus took the cup, blessed it, he distributed to his disciples. He talked about the cup as the cup of the promise. This is the blood of a new covenant. Here's what that means means that what Jesus says and did is true and effective, not just in the present, not just today, but always. That Jesus' satisfaction of our soul is new, not going to wear out, not going to run dry, 
you're never going to lack. You'll be enough on the day you trust him. You'll be abundant for all that you need. That's why you need All we ask is that you meet our needs. All we ask is that you be true to your word. All we long for is when we hear your call, your call to engage us, that we step in. Sing, listen, take communion, pray.